Hey, welcome to another episode of the Go With John Show. And today we are sitting down with my mother, Lillian Jorgensen. Interestingly enough, we just wrapped up the recording and Lillian came in and sat down and launched right into her story before we had the mics on. And it was so compelling, I didn't want to interrupt her, but she started talking about the German soldiers in her mom and dad's grocery store back at the end of World War II. So here's Lillian. So, but pretty much your whole life they were there. I mean, they well, were just... Well, not my whole life, but the first but, five years But of you my don't life, remember, you no. have no memory without the Germans no. then. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, no. Yeah. But I do remember in the store when uh, they came, the Germans came in the shop and just demanded things that they wanted to, to get. Right. You know, because my father had the grocery store. Right. And they would just come in and said, well, I want this and this and this and take it. And not pay for it. No, you yeah. don't. And you didn't have a choice. That's what they did. Yeah. Which was pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Well, the, they did a lot of awful things. They did a lot of awful things. <laughs> and what was also awful, they picked the prettiest buildings in town and just a evacuated everybody out and then Gestapo took over those buildings mm. and um, you know for five years during the occupancy yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so you were born in February yeah and they came in in April in April yeah. so you had the first two months of your life you lived German free yeah peaceful <laughs> that's right that's right yeah. and of course when the war was over um, they the Germans had to walk back home to Germany because they didn't have transportation there right. were not enough trains and cars and buses and so they walked and it was just uh, maybe you know a couple of hundred kilometers uh, and they had to walk right through my father's store because we right. were well right middle. past it yeah, yeah, right past the store because we were right in town. Right. And that's where I was hanging out in the light po post watching everybody walking back. Right. And one of the soldiers. Yeah, one of the soldiers sort of picked me up and was going to take me with him. And, of course, I resisted and yeah. ran back. But yeah. I remember that. And so of you were five years old. I was five, yeah. And so how old, what is your first memory of the war being over? Do you remember hearing that it was oh, over? Yeah, or yeah. did they just well, yeah, up and march the, out? No, because, well, the war was over uh, 5th of May. And of course, because everybody celebrated. I mean, it was everybody out in the streets and everybody cheering. And you now could go out and just celebrating. And right. Like they do everywhere. Right. And uh, news on the radio and, yeah. That so 5th of May. That. And then yeah. do you remember the date that they marched out? No, but officially the war was over. So was it a couple days so later, was, a couple weeks later? I think later, it or? might have been even during the time they were trying to get back home before okay. officially declared. I got you. Over, yeah. Okay. Yeah, around that time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did your, uh, so how did your parents manage the store then after? Because you really don't know what it was like before. No. Obviously. Well, manage the store. It was just business went on as usual, but of course everybody was freer to do business and uh, the rationing of coffee and sugar and butter and and some wines uh, all started getting lifted because mm -hmm. there was more free movement of merchandise after the war was over mm -hmm. but during the war you couldn't get any anything hardly you had to buy you had to have stamps you know like food stamps right and you have so many stamps you were 
given per month that you could use. So if you used them up on your coffee on the first week, you would have no coffee for the rest of the month. So you had to have the stamp you had to and have money. money. Money and stamps. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, because yep. it was rationed. You couldn't get any more than just exactly. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that's amazing. It is amazing. And then, of course, remember, in Europe or in Denmark, we start school at age uh, six. I was six and a half. Yeah. First grade. Yeah. No kindergarten. Yeah. That's, you know, this is so long ago. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it was amazing. Yeah. 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 So after so after the Germans leave and you're running the store, there's so at some point you're uh, you you ran. You, what did you do in the store? Tell us about how you operated in that store. Well, so you went to school. Well, we went to school. So yep. my brother Kai and myself were always as a family. We did everything as a family. As soon as we could be of any help running up and down stairs, we lived on the second floor. The store was on the ground level. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing things. We were wrapping things. We were, uh, well, everything from sugar and flour was weighed into bags of one pound and two pounds to make it quicker to serve. So it came in It in came bulk. in bulk. Yeah. yeah. And so we did a lot of that. What was my favorite was putting all the candy into bags because candies came in a 50-pound tin. Right. And uh, then it had to be scooped into bags of 100 gram, and right. we had that on the counter. So why was that chocolate. your favorite? Well, because then they get to eat the candy as well as stuffing <laughs> the bags. <laughs> But we were doing everything, and um, on my bicycle, when I was just seven, eight, nine years old, I was delivering groceries on my bicycle to the nearest people around Mm -hmm. the store. Mm -hmm. Back then, people could call in and say, I'd like to have a half a pound of coffee and a half a pound of butter and a... And a box of uh, biscuits or something like that delivered, and okay, it would get delivered. Either Mm -hmm. I would deliver it, or Kai would deliver it, or Mm -hmm. my father would deliver it, or we had also someone that would come every afternoon to make deliveries. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they wanted it at 5.30, and the only one to do it was me. Mm. So get on your bike and get it out there. Mm -hmm. But when I was running the store with the help of the uh, two helpers we had in the store, I was... um, I think I was about uh, 12, mm-hmm. 13, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that was the first uh, vacation my mom and dad had mm-hmm. away together right. for a week. Well, they actually had you run the store one day when you were 10 years old. Yeah, yep. well, one day. Yeah. One day. So right. you were 10. So tell us about that. Well, th- there's nothing more than you open up the store at 7 o'clock and you count the money and you get it in the cash register and you're there and people come in to buy and you serve them whatever they want. You take care of it. Yeah. And then you work all day and at uh, 6 o'clock you close the store, you count the money. and Yeah. And take and, some candy. And then and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, though, because uh, you well, look at it, you look at our uh, your grandkids, my kids, yep, and uh, that's right. that you can't be... hardly get them to do their own laundry, much less pick it up <laughs> off the floor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that when you think about it, I guess that was pretty much uh, amazing. But we lived such a um, well. What can I say? A life that was. Um, 
in order or you, you just did things. I mean, you got up in the morning, you went to school, you come home from school, you do your homework. Mm -hmm. After that, you work in the shop or mm -hmm. you clean or you, um, you know, do all kinds of things. And then dinner was all together. And after dinner, you do the dishes and mm -hmm. homework was in the afternoon too. Right. And then you would do other things. So it was just very regimented, I guess, but that's right. all you know. Right, right. Because it was work when you're self-employed, you know, you're in charge and responsible for everything, and we were just uh, uh, delegated to do all kinds of things, whatever mm -hmm. it was, mm -hmm. right from changing all the displays in the windows, so all the canned foods and everything that was in the window for display had to come out, mm -hmm. get back on the shelves, new things have to be put in the windows. We had three windows to decorate, quote-unquote, display, right. and they got changed usually once a month. Yeah, that's not too bad. No, well, yeah. <laughs> it was just another job. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, your dad was a runner. My dad was an athlete. Yes. yes. <clears throat> and he, where was he born? Just a few in Colling. In Colling? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was okay. born up on uh, Mosevite. Uh, okay. You know, yeah. Yeah, so my dad was a runner. He was mm -hmm. an athlete. And he was actually, he was an apprentice in the store mm -hmm. that he took over. And I don't know anything about the previous owner or anything mm -hmm. like that. I don't recollect any information. Okay. But, uh, because when I came along, he owned the store. Right. So um, he was, yeah, he was an athlete and he was a runner. And many of his running records were standing actually for years. They weren't beaten. Mm -hmm. by anyone and all the newspaper clippings and all the pre premiums what are they called all the uh, yeah, times <clears throat> the uh, spoons and yeah. p p uh, trophies trophies yes. that we have of all his winnings yeah. so he was mostly a sprinter right i mean you know it was thousand meter 1500 meter was his specialty mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Harry Lund. Harry Lund, yeah. Yep. We yep. talk about Harry Lund often in our family. Yeah, that's right. We have all his <laughs> all his trophies. That's right. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> and just uh, and what is really amazing, he wanted to go to the Olympic Games as a spectator. Mm -hmm. And when we today think back about what he did to get there, mm -hmm. it was every four years, and he went to the one in Helsinki. And he went to the one in Rome. Mm -hmm. And it was in Rome he actually got sick uh, in 1960. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so I think, it, so. yeah, and uh, Helsinki was, um, was that 1948? I can't remember. But anyway, so in order to make extra money to be able to travel, as a uh, spectator mm -hmm. to these Olympic Games to another country, which mm -hmm. basically is what you were doing. He would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and he would deliver newspapers to all the farmers in the, we call it in the upland, in the, uh, in the uh, surrounding um, suburbs of our town mm -hmm. so he would drive you know and you would deliver bunches of papers you would take them to distributions mm -hmm. places i guess mm -hmm. but that's what he did mm -hmm. in the morning at four o'clock and what did he do with the money and then he well and he saved the money for and the where trip did he put it oh well we, we put it away it yep. was money and it was kept in different places yeah but our favorite place was to keep him in the 
metal cans of the candy because <clears throat> if anybody would break in or whatever, nobody would think to look among these 50 different um, tall cans of... Uh, bulk candy. Bulk candy that one of them was filled with money. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, and for yeah. pastime when we had company and they were playing cards with their friends and sometimes you don't know what to do, our favorite was to get a can of all these chains and, and count the money. Yeah. That was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was a uh, simpler yeah, that's time. That's why to, yeah. to this day I just like to have money. Yeah. <laughs> and just to know where it is, to feel it. The coins. The coins, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So and then where did he meet your mom? Do you know that story? Oh, my God. You know, I don't. <laughs> I don't even know where they met. No, I don't. Maybe Kai knows. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we have, we'll to, have ask. to ask him. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. See, and you I know, thought you would know that, that was story. That was a dead end. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't know where they met. We never talked about that. Yeah. Um, well, you guys were busy with we were uh, World busy. War II, and uh, we you were, had some things well, on your and plate. Then, yeah, and remember, then I left home at 16. Yep, and, and then, half. so let's talk about that. I'm Michael Schnitzer, president of Stanley Martin Custom Homes. Buyers appreciate our focus on energy efficiency and sustainability so that they can lower their utility costs and we can reduce our footprint on the environment. To learn more about our prices and floor plans, visit webuildonyourlot.com. That's webuildonyourlot.com. My parents had really good friends that lived down in Sunnerborg, which is a town very close to the German border in Denmark. Yeah. And they owned a photo, photographic shop. Right. And uh, were really good friends with the owners of the big new uh, factory, um, Denfoss, who yeah. makes thermostats. Yeah. So who were, the, who were your parents' friends? The ph photographer. The, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. and they were friends with the owners okay. of the uh, factory. Okay. And they told my mom that they knew that that family was looking for someone to help in the guest villa. Right. Because they didn't want to have any entertaining going on in their private home because they had five children. Mm -hmm. And it was their private home, but they had guests coming from all over the world all the time. And so they had a guest villa, and it was manned by a um, lady running the house. Mm -hmm. And then, so a housekeeper, and they needed somebody to help. And so we decided that that would be an amazing opportunity for me to try, mm -hmm. uh, working pretty much as an au pair, if you will. Right. And uh, having the opportunity to meet uh, people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And it was an amazing, amazing time, but very difficult when you think back. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had this big house, right. and uh, between the two of us, we had to clean it mm -hmm. and uh, do everything that goes along with it. It was like a hotel, actually, a little hotel. There were four bedrooms, mm -hmm. so we could have four overnight guests, but we only usually had one or two. Right. 
But every day we had lunch and dinner. And so it would, would be the owner of the factory and mm -hmm. the representatives that came from the department and came from, from countries everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. I had a really good chance to polish up my English, which, of course, in, in Denmark, when you graduate from high school, you have five years of English, four years of German, two years of Latin, and two years of French. Right. Uh, so you take the English language a notch up when you have an opportunity to use it. Right. And um, it was there I learned to do everything that has served me for actually the rest of my life in many different situations. Mm -hmm. For instance, at 11 o'clock, we would get a call that we would have uh, eight people for lunch mm -hmm. at one. Mm -hmm. That gives you two hours to call the shops to deliver the food to prepare the food, and to set the table and be ready. <laughs> and that would It's not a lot of time. Not a lot of time. And so the orders would come right away, and we would have the whole Danish smorgasbord on the table with five or six different courses, including cold cuts and one hot dish as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned to serve correctly mm -hmm. in, uh, in the manner that a trained uh, server or waiter or waitress learned back right. in those days, being right. more formal. And um, when everything was done, of course, everything got back to the kitchen, and then it came for the cleanups. Right. Not only do we wash the dishes in brown soap water, then we rinse the dishes in warm vinegar water, and mm -hmm. then we polish the dishes and polish the glasses. Mm. Every day the silverware had to be polished if it was tarnished. Mm. So it kept me working until about 3 o'clock every day. Wow. So then I had time off for an hour or two, but by 4.30, we would know if we were going to have two dinner guests or five dinner guests or ten dinner guests, and mm -hmm. the whole thing started all over again. Wow. And I was working until 10, 11 o'clock in the evening mm -hmm. because they would have coffee and cigars and dessert in the living room, just like a normal home. Right. And it was my responsibility to be taking care of all of that, mm -hmm. and it was the lady's responsibility to be behind the scenes and make sure everything was running. Right. Well, after six months, this was really too much for me, and they got someone else to help, and we were two of us doing the job that I had been doing. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about having chicken for dinner, we would get the whole chicken, right. and we would have to pluck it. Yeah. If we were having fish for dinner, we would get the whole fish, and you had to scale it and trim it and, and fix it to serve. Sure. Not like you go to the grocery <laughs> store today and pick up everything ready to go. Isn't that nice? It was really amazing. Yeah. But you know what? It was a good lesson. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was when you were 16. That's when I was 16, so I was there until, oh, and by the way, when you ironed the pillowcases, mm -hmm. they were wet mm -hmm. because they had to be absolutely perfect. So they were wet and they had starch in them and you had to keep ironing them until they were dry wow. and stiff and perfect. Yeah. But that's a good lesson to know, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it can serve you right any place, you never know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I was there and uh, for a year and a half, and then I came back um, to my parents, 
in the store. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, my father had what they call representative visiting every month from different companies to place orders on merchandise that he was selling in the store. Right. And one of the big sellers were all the canned foods by Plumrose. Mm-hmm. And the representative had known me for years and years and watched me grow up and and was asking my father, well, what is Lillian doing now? And he says, well, she's back home, you know, after working at uh, Danfoss, and we're going to see where she wants to go next. And then he said, I know that there's an opening in London uh, for one of the um, uh, stores to run the Plumrose <clears throat> account in Suffrages and in Herod's, mm-hmm. and she would be perfect for the job. And that sounded good to me, so we called up, and I had an interview with Plumrose in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. the big city. Yeah, the big city. <laughs> and, um, and So what was that like? Was that your well, first time going to Copenhagen? That, well, no, I had been there just a couple of times before, but it was still the very first time, and I, I got the job, and yeah. I had to train. And I was living in a um, kind of like a pension, you know. It was my first introduction to living and eating in a common mm-hmm. area. It was very different, but it was just for a couple of weeks. Right. And then I took off to London and uh, was running my own little stand in Selfridges. And yep. uh, I doubled the business there the year I was there because mm-hmm. I wanted to do things my way and they let me. Mm-hmm. And so it was a really good experience. Um, and it, it was, of course, during that time that I met Alan. Yes, my, my dad. My future husband. That's right. <laughs> and uh, so um, he would come over to, he came to visit one day. and At the store. Uh, at the store. For, he came to go shopping right. at the store and saw me. Right. And came over to visit, and we talked, and uh, so uh, he he was trying to, get a date with me, I and guess. And now you talk to your mom about this, right? Yeah, well, yeah, and, and my mother said, well, you can't trust... Well, I found out he... Well, he was an American... You can't trust American military because I found that out, that he was a military man. And That's what your mom said. That's what my mom said. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I didn't go out with him, but I said, you know, I'm here every day, so you can come visit me every day if you like. <laughs> and he was just a few blocks away, so um, he... Um, uh, so he came the next day, and that was nice uh, on his lunch hour. And so he did come to visit, and then one day he didn't come. And I said, yeah, my mother was right. <laughs> they don't get their way, then, uh, you know, it's the highway. <clears throat> so uh, three weeks later, he showed up with all kinds of little presents for my bracelet. He had noticed I had a charm bracelet. So he had a charm from Turkey and from Spain mm-hmm. and from Italy, and he told me he was sent off, you know, and he didn't know how to get hold of me. And we have to remember, back in 1960, there were no telephones and no communication, really, mm-hmm. um, and he couldn't get hold of me. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I don't remember where that was in our timeline, but he... And so I said, oh, that was nice. And so he still came to visit. And one day, it was the 19th of September, and he came again and wanted to invite me out for dinner because tomorrow was his birthday. And I said, I don't believe it's your birthday. So he had to pull up his ID card, and it was his birthday. So I said, okay, but I'm going to bring my friend who has the job 
in Harrods. Mm -hmm. Okay, then he was going to bring his uh, friend. So we had our first meeting as a foursome on his Double birthday. Double date. Double date, yeah. Yeah. 20th of, Tem 20th of September, 1960. Wow. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so that takes us to 60, and in the meantime, my father got very ill and mm -hmm. passes away, and I go back to Denmark October, November, December to help my mother in the store, mm -hmm. and, but she wanted me to get on with my life, and she said, I'm going to be fine. I have to sell the store anyway, and so I did go back to London in January mm -hmm. and finished up my work in, uh, mm -hmm. for the rest of the year till August. Because in England, you can only work for one year. You get a one-year work permit back then, it. and that's yeah. it. Yeah. So when did Dad take the infamous picture of you at your well he must have taken that very soon after he met with me and yeah. how he had any even notion to take a picture of me i'll never know yeah or carry a camera but i guess back then yeah well, well he always had a camera well he, he was, had a camera he was a photo pilot and yeah. he was into photography of course in his job in intelligence but um he it, took it's an, it's an amazing picture because well, there's yeah. a huge sign yeah that says Danish, Danish meat, meat delicacies, delicacies. <laughs> and, I'm and there's Lillian right under it <laughs> <laughs> with all the with all the ham and your yep, it almost looks like a nurse's uniform. <laughs> oh yeah, well we had to have a uniform. Yeah, and every day I had a rose. Yep, because I had a friend in the flower department, and he would bring me a rose every day. Yep. Well, and, you were busy, uh, huh? I was busy. Yeah, yeah? and uh, plum rose. Yeah, I was busy. But this was 60 and then 61. So my year was up and I had to go back to Denmark. Right. And Alan, being a pilot, had to fly every month for flight time. Right. So he flew over to Denmark to visit me every month in mm -hmm. a little twin engine beach, uh, beach craft mm -hmm. um, and landed at Skrudslup, which is just um, half an hour from Kolling. Mm -hmm. Drove down and picked him up on, at the airfield and and he came to visit, mm -hmm. and so we were kind of And you of just dating. drove your car? Oh, just drove the car right on to the airfield. Right, right on to the airplane. Up to the plane and pick him up, yeah. <laughs> That's how it was back then, 100 years ago, but um, 1961, that yeah. was 61. And so he knew he was going to be going back to America in 62, because three and a half years in London. Mm -hmm. So at the end of 61, we were planning to get married mm -hmm. and had the wedding in Denmark in mm -hmm. March. Mm -hmm. Which made the papers. Which made the Denmark. papers, yep. the local papers, because three American planes landing in Skrudstrup for the wedding. Was a big deal. And it was a very big deal back yep. then. And um, they were the guests from London and the best man. And um, so uh, we, uh, yeah, so we had the wedding. And, and of course, then leaving Denmark, we took, let me see, he drove his car up from, um, no, that wasn't at that time. No, so leaving, we had to take the train and the ferry and get back to London. And, of course, that's when I was crying at the uh, train station. Yeah, so tell us goodbye. about that. So then Dad says, well, why are well, you crying? Why, why are you crying? I says, I don't know. And I says, well, I'm, 
I don't know where I'm going, and um, you know, everybody knows me here. It's going to be really strange to go someplace, and right. nobody knows me. Right, and everybody knew you in the town of Culling everybody because of the grocery because store. Because of my father, yeah. who was a very well-known man for for years, and uh, we lived a, you know, a middle-class uh, life and well-known businessman and mm-hmm. runner, and mm-hmm. uh, so everybody knew, of course. Uh, Harry Lund's children. So we were always told, you better behave because everybody knows you and I'm going to find out (laughs) if you do anything. And sure enough, from time to time, it would come back, you know, whatever we did. Yeah. And so... So it was strange to leave and not knowing where I was going. And where nobody would know you. Nobody would know me. Of course, first we went back to London to finish up the uh, three or four months from March till August in London. Mm -hmm. And that was a wonderful time going to the theaters and Mm -hmm. the dinner clubs. And Mm -hmm. it was very, very special time. And Mm -hmm. we had a little apartment. And Mm -hmm. so that was good. Oh, and then I went home in July to say goodbye Mm -hmm. and to buy furniture. Right. And I wanted to have a dining room set of furniture. I wanted to have my Danish furniture. And I bought beautiful rosewood furniture. And then Alan was flying over to pick it up. Yeah. And I didn't think anything about what I was buying. I just bought what I wanted, a buffet and a table and six chairs. And uh, it turned out that that buffet made it into that Beechcraft airplane with two inches to spare. They couldn't get it through the door, hardly. But they did. (laughs) And I said, don't come home unless you bring a a whole layer cake, you know. So he had to go into Saxon Hoos and and get me an Otello Lauke to bring back just to have memories. So (laughs) he got that furniture back to England and then that was shipped to the U.S. along with his household items. So Mm -hmm. I had the uh, Danish furniture that we still have today, but uh, I'm not using it today, but uh, my daughter Janet mm-hmm. is, is using it, and she's loving the, the Danish-style furniture and good-quality furniture. It is. It's amazing yeah. uh, furniture. Yeah, it's yeah. been around for 58 years. Yep, it sure has. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, that brings you to now moving to the U.S. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, so where did you start your journey in the U.S.? Well, our first trip, of course, coming back to the U.S. was Cherry Point, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So we arrived in London, mm-hmm. and uh, we were supposed to pick up the car. And the car wasn't there, mm-hmm. and it had sailed down the river someplace, and we were told we could get it the next day. And so we didn't have any luggage, and I don't know why. Um, we checked into a hotel and with a toothbrush or something, and of course back then it was like, oh, what's going on, you know? Yeah, but, well, you probably didn't care too, I guess too much. The, yeah, I mean, and the luggage was someplace, I guess, stored or at the mm-hmm. airport or someplace because we were supposed to go get the car. Right. And I'll never forget how hot it was. A hundred and I mean, New York. Yeah. In August, yeah. it's a hundred degrees. Yeah. And we finally got the car, and it was a little. It's a little black Volkswagen. Of yeah. course, we get in the Volkswagen and start driving from New York all the way down to North Carolina. Right. And we got into New Bern, and we were asking, well, where is Cherry Point? And somebody said, well, you just go down there and take a right, at the, uh, take a right, 
and then uh, you take a left at the next traffic light. And we drove and drove and drove, and the next traffic light was 35 miles down the road. <laughs> but we got there. Yeah. So that was in August of 1962. Mm. Yeah. That was 62. was 64. You go back to Denmark. I go back to Denmark. Yes. Yeah, thank and you. And I know that because I was born in Denmark, so in you had to have yeah, been in there. in 64, <laughs> that's right. So that summer of 64, he gets uh, orders to go overseas, so I was going back to my mother. Right. And uh, we drove the uh, Volkswagen together across the country to park it in his mother's house in Oakland. Mm -hmm. So we would have the car when he came back a year later. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, in the meantime, I got pregnant with you. Thank and, you. And we go to uh, Norfolk this time to, to the uh, NATO staff uh, mm -hmm. uh, office, thank you, as Navio, thank you as Navio, I think, staff in, uh, in Norfolk. Right. And so we were there for a couple of years, and he gets sent overseas again. Of course, in this time, he's in Vietnam, and he's in the, going back to Vietnam. And I go back again to Denmark. Mm -hmm. And then coming back from there, we end up in uh, Springfield. Yep. In uh, 69. 69, yeah. Yep. So basically, we've been in this area since 69. What is that, 51 years? It's a long time. That's a long time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. Springfield yeah. very well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so we get to Springfield. Mm -hmm. Then we have um, we have some illness in we our had family. Lots was, of different illnesses. Yeah, yeah that was a difficult right. time. That was a difficult time, but we survived. So yes, we're here. Yes, <laughs> and then uh, you eventually go into uh, real estate. Right. So I guess I've sort of really well. I guess we should back up and say that. One day I get a call from the Foreign Service Institute. Yes, that's right. That they need a Danish teacher. Mm -hmm. And I had been go going to Janet's class. I think it was Janet's class mm -hmm. talking about Christmas in Denmark. Mm -hmm. And some little child in that class told the parents about my visit. Mm -hmm. And that's how they found me. And they mm -hmm. were desperate to get a Danish teacher. Mm -hmm. So I went down for the interview and, uh, and got the job to mm -hmm. teach Danish at the Foreign Service. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, uh, you know... It, it was not completely full-time. The good thing about the job, it was nine to three mm -hmm. at that time. Right. It later became a full-time job. But right. when I had you in in class, I mean, mm -hmm. I could get home by the time you got home from school at 3.30. So right. it was a perfect time. You would leave at 8.30 in the morning to go to mm -hmm. school for mm -hmm. nine, and mm -hmm. I would leave also. So it worked out perfect. Yep. So I was there teaching Danish actually for thir uh, 13 years, wow. which was a great career, yep. uh, great, uh, great experience. And then one Christmas in 1984, we went to a dinner party at Alan's friend's house. And um, it was a big Catholic family, and uh, she was so excited telling me that she had just passed the real estate exam and she was gonna go into real estate, and I was just so amazed, and I said, wow, if you can do it, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. Not even thinking could be insulting, I guess, saying it that way. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, five, seven kids, yeah. and going into real estate, and I had two kids, yeah. and I figured, wow, I can, I can do that. 
So um, I marched up to Nairi uh, Real Estate School in January after the holidays mm -hmm. and signed up on my own mm -hmm. and um, went to class every weekend. Mm -hmm. And I remember vividly there was Alan, we turned off the TV, he was fine, no TV or anything. Seven o'clock every night, I had to study. I had mm -hmm. to do 30 pages a night mm -hmm. to keep up. And I worked full time, mm -hmm. keeping up with everything. And, uh, and the more I got into the classes and into learning, the more excited I was about the whole thing. And I was ready to jump out and start selling before I was even finished with class. Right. So I finished my class, I guess, May, no, June, I think it was. June mm -hmm. took the test, had to take the state exam, mm -hmm. and then gave my notice to the State Department I would not be coming back in the fall. Right. And started uh, selling real estate in August 1985 and never looked back. No, you didn't. No, nope, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Never looked back. Yep. Yeah. If you like what you're hearing on this episode of the Go With John Show, please tell your friends and have them sign up for news and show updates at GoWithJohn.com. All right, so now let's talk about real estate because that is um, really what where you are, are, where we are today, and That's it's right. what you're famous for, yeah. uh, for sure. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, so so tell us how, because a lot of people will ask me, how did your mom do it? Yeah. And and I kind of, I say, it's not really how you do it now that they want to hear. It's how did you get started? Yeah, because and that's so hard to even explain. Because it is. Because the way I got started wouldn't exist today. Well, I, I would say you're probably right, but I think a lot of those um, elements are key to people's well, success because be. you did a lot yeah. of door knocking. Yeah. And I mean, there was a yeah. lot of things you did. Yeah, and well, and you can still do today, exactly. but, but essentially today you carry it on to a different type of marketing, but it still means consistent marketing and letting everybody know you're still here and yeah. how do you do that? But so how did but, you get started? So when well, you started I, in real estate, how I, did you get your first clients? Well, I wore my name tag. Yeah. Which I never do anymore. Yeah, but it's still recommended for new yeah, agents today. It is today still recommended. To I wear wore their my name, name tag. tag yeah. And I remember being up in Nordstrom at the mall and uh, getting some makeup. And um, a woman was saying, oh, I see you're in real estate. And I said, yes. And she said, oh, I have a really good friend and he is looking to sell his condo in Alexandria. And I said, great, that would be, I, I would love to help him. And she said, you know what, give me your card and I'll have him give you a call. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would never hear again. Well, right. two days later, I got a call. Right. And I'd never even been down in that area in Alexandria where today I know places everywhere. Yeah. But it was the Mont Eagle condominiums in Alexandria, mm -hmm. which were beautiful and new at that time. Right. And I just prepared myself with the listing appointment and listing material that we could do back then, which right. was very different than today because we didn't have all the print uh, pretty pieces or the, or, data. Or the Even brochures the data, and I the think, data. that's available, yeah. And I just went in on that listing appointment as if I had been selling real estate all my life. And he was very impressed. And I signed up the listing and I got out of there and I thought, oh, Man, wow, I got it. That was your first <laughs> that listing. That was my first listing, yeah. Yep. From wearing your name tag. From wearing my name tag. Yeah. While you were shopping. Yeah. 
And okay. then, of course, did back, you sell that one? Oh yes, okay, of good. course, yeah. <laughs> but of course, back then it was always about farming and farming right. and farming. Well, what does farming mean? And even? farming means that you 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 you're designated an area mm-hmm. where that is yours, and it was divided up uh, by the broker, mm-hmm. and it was really very awful because the area I was designated to farm, I looked at the sales and Alan and I were saying, well, if you do everything you can and and network in that farm, it looks like you might sell one house a year. Now, how are you going to survive on that? Right. And but you couldn't work in anybody else's territory. It was actually pretty bad. Yeah. And of course, you come in as a new agent and all the existing agents, they had their farms. Right. And uh, you were told how to do it, send out newsletters and send out information yeah. and uh, magazines. We had magazines back then with mm-hmm. Shannon and Lux. But, um, but this essentially, uh, I decided that my farming was going to be where I was listing and selling. Mm-hmm. Because now I sold one unit. Mm -hmm. So I sent out a card, a very amateur-looking piece of paper back then, 35 years ago, um, that I had sold this unit. And I actually managed to get quite a few more listings over a period in those there were two buildings Mm -hmm. then somehow it dried up and you move on you know to the next but it still was um still was letting everybody know you're there and try and get more business in the same place and then i remember i met someone and they had a condo at seven corners all those condos in there off of wilson boulevard and um and I got the listing and I went over and I rolled up flyers and put in the door handles and I went up and down stairs in mm-hmm. all those buildings and mm-hmm. Alan would sit in the parking lot and wait for me because it was dinner time. Right. And I would put flyers on the windshields back then. Yeah. <laughs> and I managed to get quite a bit of business in there too. Mm-hmm. And as I was learning and seeing how this business really works, because I had to go get all the business. I didn't go to school here with friends that grew up with me mm-hmm. and graduated and had families and say, you come sell my house. I mm-hmm. literally had to go fight for every property that mm-hmm. I got, every piece of business I had to go out and get on my own. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just, and then I started realizing um, uh, land, uh, how we, I was always interested in construction and building, mm-hmm. and uh, I was paying attention to a little house sitting on 10 or 15 acres of land. Mm-hmm. And I remember one track of land on Spring Hill Road, it took me uh, six months for the little lady to even open the door for the first time. I kept driving up to her driveway and leaving my card in her doorway and knocking on the door. And one day she opened the door. And uh, she said, well, I get this all the time, and but you keep coming back. And I said, I'd just love to visit with you. Can I help you move from mm-hmm. here? What would you like? She invited me in, and it was the beginning of a long friendship. She actually brought me a whole stack of letters from 
people and builders that have written her mm -hmm. that uh, they wanted to buy her property, but she mm -hmm. didn't trust anybody. And what was her first name? Lucille. Yes, remember Lucille. And so, um, <clears throat> so, um, so we sat down, and I came to visit her every week. We had mm -hmm. a cup of coffee, mm -hmm. and um, we got to know each other. And I said, um, you know, I can help you. Well, it turned out she really would like to move. Mm -hmm. She was sitting there all by herself on her 20 acres, I think she had. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot to take care of, and the taxes were high. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but everything I did, I had to go through her attorney. And it mm -hmm. turns out he was a real... Well, we don't need to say any words in our business, but he certainly was not looking out for her. Right. But still, she trusted him. And I said, that's fine. And mm -hmm. I remember sitting in a meeting with him and mm -hmm. his partner and myself, and I was telling him exactly what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he begrudgingly agreed mm -hmm. that I should have the listing. Mm -hmm. I think he had other things he wanted to do with that piece of land, like get it for himself. Gotcha. So with the listing in hand, <clears throat> I went out and I contacted my first contact that I had in mind, and I sold it. So it was sold nice. in 24 hours. And then Lucille got to go where and she wanted to Lucille go. Lucille got to go to a little house downtown McLean that yep. was manageable for her. Yep. And uh, so that was my first land deal. And then I had this huge piece of land up at Tyson's Corner, 123 and uh, Old Courthouse Road, 45 acres. All these little houses. And I started going, visiting house to house. Mm -hmm. And uh, took me weeks and months. And I had to gain their confidence. So many people had tried to put that piece of property together. And they didn't trust me either. Mm -hmm. and, I said, and they think they could do a hotel. They think they could do townhouses and get $30 a square foot. And I said, you can get between 6 and $8 a square foot. Mm -hmm. So it took them a while to accept it. But I did my homework, met with the supervisors. Jack Harity was one way back as Harity's dad, mm -hmm. as it is now. Yeah. And uh, I had done my homework. You could only do single-family homes on that track of land. Right. No townhouses, no commercial. Courthouse, Old Courthouse Road was the cutoff line. Right. And so I began to sign up enough homeowners beginning to trust me. I got the listing signed. Mm -hmm. But I would go there almost, stop by on my way home every day and, and visit one homeowner. And that did, did, did that for two years. Yeah. So you invested, so it's a lot of door knocking. A lot of door knocking, a lot of, a lot knocking. of visiting and knowing Building your relationships stuff, building and taking relations. the time right. to... Uh, and knowing yeah. what you're doing. You've got to know what you're doing and what you're yeah. talking about. So yeah. you have to learn all of that. Yeah. Um, but the bottom line, after two years, I succeeded mm -hmm. in putting enough tracts of land together to sell. Mm -hmm. And the average sales price in there, if you moved right away, you got $6 a square feet. The people that waited till the bulldozers came, they ended up with uh, 7 to $8 a square foot. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember, so it was an agent in my office that sold it to a builder. Yeah. And uh, it was the largest commission check paid out so far in that office when I was paid for that track of land. Amazing. But that was right before the downturn of the end of the 80s. Mm -hmm. And the builder ended up giving it back to the bank. And um, another builder picked it up 
in January and mm -hmm. built 75 houses on that property. It's but incredible. I still got paid for selling the land, so that was very exciting. Right. Yep. I did another track of land, again, on a house that sat on many acres on Spring Hill Road and, um, and was able to uh, sell that, and it got divided into 11 lots. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so there were two tracks actually on Spring Hill Road in McLean. So when you got into the real estate business, did it turn out to be what you thought it was going to be, or did it turn out to be something completely different? I, no, I never thought it turned out to be anything that I thought because I didn't know what it was going to be. Yeah. I just knew selling. Yeah. I just knew your intelligence to put it together, have the right answers. But mm -hmm. I knew one thing for sure, always to do the right thing. Mm-hmm always to make sure that you can look yourself in the mirror mm -hmm. and just always always your reputation is all you have absolutely you start going off your reputation so i would go a, a long mile around to make sure everything was always done right mm -hmm. to this day yep that's fantastic yep. so so um we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories right. that but we've have, heard at the dinner table. Right. But I have one actually that goes back to all this. So I start getting calls. You know, I advertise a lot. I believe in print advertising even mm -hmm. at this time of my career. But um, somebody called me on Lee Highway with a Centerville address. And I went out to see this house. And it was a little white house on five acres, and they just wanted to move. Mm -hmm. Well, the minute I pulled in the driveway, I heard a big explosion. And I thought, oh, my God, what is going on? Well, it turned out it was next to a stone quarry mm -hmm. where they're doing blasting every day. <laughs> and then across the street, I noticed was a asphalt plant. Yeah. And I thought... These people are never going to sell this house. Yeah. And uh, to a residential, it's going to have to go commercial. Right. So I went in to visit, and it was a shock of my life. My first experience coming into a home where there was a little, it was a hoarder, mm -hmm. a little pathway through the house. Mm -hmm. But the hoarding was cabbage patch dolls in boxes. Oh, no. Thousands of them. Oh, my goodness. They were stacked from floor to ceiling. She collected Cabbage Patch dolls, which mm -hmm. were very famous, popular at that time. Right. In the 80s. This was right after the 90s. Pet Rock, yeah, right? Yeah. Right. And I said this was really going to be difficult to sell as a residential because of what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to give it a shot and see if we can sell it to the uh, um, quarry next door mm -hmm. or to the asphalt factory across the street. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said, well, but let me take a look at the house. And uh, so I was on my way to the basement. Mm -hmm. And she says, oh, no, 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 don't go in the basement. And I said, okay. Yeah, because I have a big snake down there, and he lives down there. But that's a good thing because he keeps the mice away. And I said, okay. Um, so, of course, I didn't go down in the basement right. with this big snake down there. <laughs> and I came up and um, halfway back up again, and uh, I just said, uh, I uh, will try and see if I can sell your home in some ways, but I never could. You know, mm -hmm. I tried to meet with people. They didn't want to buy that five acres. They wanted right. 20 acres. Right. They didn't want to take it as part of their home. Yeah. So that was an experience yeah. with a snake in the basement. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've heard that one yet. <laughs> 
So, but I was where I was going was we we have and I and I've often said to you you should write a book and yeah. you always say to me you know if I wrote a book nobody would believe right. it nobody would believe <laughs> nobody would read it I know yeah but so so but but there was one story that went on, on and, and on, on and on and on, on, and, on. Yeah, and you so, know the one I'm talking yeah, about so, so we'll we just have, refer to them as yeah. Mister and Mrs. Seller. Okay. So we have so we a beautiful home in a lovely neighborhood in Vienna. In Vienna. Yep, yep. And uh, I got the call to come out and sell the house. Mm-hmm. And it was a mess and there were several children still at home that older children. Older children, yeah. yeah, and yeah, but teenagers. Yeah. And then they had two big dogs and they were always tied up outside mm-hmm. and it was nothing but a mud pile mm-hmm. so of course if the dogs were let in it was mud all over in the house just for starters right and it was also the house where things were stacked up in the basement from floor to ceiling and i asked the question do you have a rough in bath in the basement because i couldn't see anything yep. oh yes we do yeah and the reason i didn't dispute him was because I'd sold other houses with a finished basement and a full bath. Mm-hmm. So I had no... In that neighborhood. Re- in that neighborhood, yeah. next door. Yeah. I had no reason to dispute the fact that yeah. there was or was not right. <clears throat> a bathroom. It was difficult times. I can't remember. It must have been beginning of the 90s. Interest rates were high. Houses were not selling. Mm-hmm. And they were getting divorced. And the only way we could show that house was with two lockboxes on the door. He was living in the master bedroom mm-hmm. with the lockbox on his door. Mm-hmm. And she was living in the other bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And then he had a lockbox on the door to the basement because mm-hmm. the basement was his. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the house didn't look nice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really cleaned up. And the dogs and the mud and everything. Mm-hmm. I think it was seven, eight, nine months and we finally get a contract from somebody who's willing to clean it up. Yeah. And so now I have to help her find a place to be. Don't worry about my ex. He knows where he's going. Mm-hmm. He's going to travel. He has a U-Haul, and he's leaving town. Mm-hmm. And I said, but but meanwhile, during this whole time, yeah. she's calling, saying how difficult it is. We yeah. need to get the house sold. Yeah. I have to oh, move yeah. on. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I, I, I got to get all the expenses. I got to get the house sold. Yep. And I says, well, I'm doing all I can, but, mm-hmm. you know, under the circumstances. So finally, um, we get an offer on the house. And now she has to find a place to live. And mm-hmm. she had $125,000 for her. Mm-hmm. So we went to Reston and at that time was able to find a nice little little townhouse um, that we could get for $125,000. So she was cash-free mm-hmm. and no debt or anything. Mm-hmm. And um, so we get to the day of moving and moving and getting everything ready and the house is vacant and walk through. And I said, well, your husband's car is out here. Why, you know, I thought he was starting to drive west. And she said, no, um, he's actually going to live with me. And I said, what are you talking about? We have been trying to get you two separated for nine months, and you're telling me that he's going to move in with you? 
And this was almost a War of the Roses totally scenario. Wa- totally it War was, of the Roses because yeah. every night he would call me to tell her to tell her something and she would call me to tell him something. Yeah. And it was every night or every week I had to play attorney and psychologist and psychiatrist and marriage and counselor, yeah. and marriage counselor as if I had nothing else to do. And then you get the house sold. We get the house sold. She buys a new house. She buys, moves to rest and into and this And then they house. move back in together. Yeah. And I said, what in the world are you thinking about? And she said, well, I need the money and he's paying me rent. (laughs) And I said, no way. Yeah, no way. it was incredible. It was just I remember crazy, that. Just crazy. So, crazy. so the so the interesting. I think a lot of folks out there they think they want to go into real estate. Sure. And, and I, I think, uh, you know, in my earlier years with clients, I heard over and over and over and over. We'd be driving around looking at houses, looking at houses, and somebody would eventually say, almost every week, I heard it. Oh my gosh, I love driving around looking at houses. I think I want to go into real estate. Yeah. And I always say, well, you should do that. Yeah. Uh, because I can't really explain that. What the job looking, is. Yeah, looking at houses is just such a small part yeah. of, of what it is. You know, the human element and the situations you get into, the snake in the basement, the oh. the, the couple that, that, that needs to sell their home so they can move on with their yeah. life. Shockingly, yeah. they get back together. Yeah. That's when we, we, we still laugh about it in our house yeah. today. But there's all these things that yeah. uh, happen in the real estate business. And every day you don't know where it's going. No. Every day oh, you no. get a new no, thing. No, it's a different yeah. scenario every day. Yeah. 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 You just yeah. don't know. And it's a lot more than just drive around and look at houses, of course. You yeah. have to have the intelligence behind knowing where to take people and what the houses look like and what Mm -hmm. they really want and qualifying and all Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. John Jorgensen here. If you want to become a real estate agent, contact us through the Go With John show at gowithjohn.com and we will put you in touch with a professional over at Long & Foster who can walk you through the process. Again, that's gowithjohn.com. So what's your favorite part about the industry now? I think getting the phone call to make an appointment with me for you to come over and sell my house. Mm -hmm. I think that is a very exciting phone call that they call me. I don't call them. Yes. Because that's not the way it used to be. Right. I had to go (laughs) call everybody. I had to go figure it out. But... You have gone, come to the point in your life where you get the calls, you are trusted, mm-hmm. and you have good recommendations, and uh, people recommend you. And then going for the visit, and then to do the right things, say the right words, work mm-hmm. with a stager. What is the most gentle way to tell them we have to do A, B, and C to get mm-hmm. the house in sellable condition for the highest amount of money, mm-hmm. going through that whole process, and then uh, you go through all the marketing, and then you say thank you very much and give me a call. Mm-hmm. Then you leave, and then you do get the call. We right. want to list with you, and we want you to be our agent. Or you actually are sitting there and they're saying, no, we're good to go. We'd love for you to take care of this house. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most exciting part, that you, you did it. It's a little bit of a game. Mm-hmm. It's a hunt, mm-hmm. and you got to do the job. And then when you get 
in return, you get a call from the neighbor. We want you to come over and uh, we want to meet you because we want to sell our house. So there have been good vibes going back and forth. And I think this is the most rewarding part of the business. And then, of course, solving the problems along the way can be very frustrating. Mm -hmm. All kinds of problems come up. Mm-hmm. And you never know from day to day what they're going to do. And be. sometimes you get a truckload. Yep, you got a boatload. You know, day of, after yep, day after day. Yep. Yeah, and I otherwise it's like a dream. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about the way you do your business is you do almost everything yourself. I mean, you have a couple of really great assistants. Well, yeah, but yeah. they do the paperwork exactly uh, because uh, I have chosen to use my brain and my intelligence in a different way Mm -hmm. feeling I finally gave up being so possessive Mm -hmm. I finally let go Mm -hmm. that was very very difficult of the paperwork of the paperwork yeah (laughs) it was very very difficult because I was doing it all because I was the only one that could do it right so I've given up the paperwork and the uh entering the information into multiple listing and and all of that but you're doing everything else but I'm doing everything else yeah right you're going to every listing appointment every listing every settlement every home every single contract negotiation I meet every appraiser at the property yeah I'm at every settlement yeah Yeah. so i'm doing all of that i don't send an assistant to go to home inspection i don't send an assistant to go to settlement right or or to meet the appraiser yeah or to meet the appraiser i'm doing all of that but i have an an assistant who can uh, run the emails and answer emails and follow up on paperwork that can be done and help with coordinating your calendar and all that yeah 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 Yeah, it's pretty amazing it is pretty good yeah. yeah Yeah. Yeah. So is there uh, is there anything you would have done differently? Probably not. <laughs> no, because how do you know? Yeah, that's true. You don't know. You only yeah. know you got here by doing A, B, and C. Yeah. Had you done it the other way, you don't know where yeah. you would have been. Yeah, yeah. So now, how has technology changed uh, the industry? Do you think it's oh, a good I think, thing? Or? I think the technology has changed everything a lot. I think the biggest thing that has changed is... Everyone knows the properties now before almost we know them. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't so before. You had to get in the car and go take them there. So the fact that everybody can see everything on the Internet definitely has changed. Mm -hmm. But it's really wonderful that we as agents are still needed. Yes, Mm -hmm. you can go see it on the Internet. We still need to take you in. We still need to advise you. We still need to work with you on the contracts and mm-hmm. on offers and hold everything together. You get 10 offers on a property. How are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. You know, it takes intelligence. And sometimes you win one where you normally wouldn't have won it, but mm-hmm. they know you right. versus everybody else. Right. And so you still need that human touch. Mm-hmm. But technology definitely has changed everything. I don't necessarily like all the changes, but I'm doing just fine with what I'm doing. So I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna change my ways. Yeah. But people choose to sit and do everything on their phones, yeah. and and um, I still like to have directions so I know where I'm going because yeah. GPS screws me up every five times. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they take me for a joy joy ride or whatever. It's joy, called. Ride. joy ride. Joy yeah. ride someplace, yeah. and I said, "What am I doing here?" Yeah. And uh, and like so, you still put the directions in your listings for everybody else. Uh, yeah, and I do it consequently, and only fifty percent or twenty five percent of the agents do. Yeah. And it will say in the listing, use GPS. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. 
but I believe, and I have a photographic memory. I read those directions, yeah. and I know exactly where I'm going. But I put it in a GPS, and I don't know where I'm going because it yep. only takes you one street at a time exactly. or maybe a little area at a time. Right. So I still love to have my map if I can have an overview of where I'm mm -hmm. going. And mm -hmm. um, by the directions, I, I already know approximately where I'm going to be by the mm -hmm. name of the subdivision. Mm -hmm. I have an idea, again, because I have been everywhere mm -hmm. uh, in the whole Northern Virginia Right, area. so you read the directions and it just... Oh, it just you, jives exactly. for me. And that's a tremendous uh, help. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that was, was really uh, interesting in your early years, we talked about this the other day, um, how you used to run out in the middle of the night oh, to get yes. things signed, oh, right? Yes. So when we talk about technology, technology yeah, yeah oh so talk God. about, you know, for the, for the folks listening that uh, are, are youngsters who, yeah. who don't realize the internet hasn't been here forever, yeah. uh, well, tell the them way, how yeah. we used yeah. to sell houses. Well, we would meet the seller in their home after dinner because yeah. God forbid they had to have their dinner. You right. can come over at nine o'clock yeah. or eight o'clock. Yeah. And you would sit down and present your contract in person, which, of mm -hmm. course, is very nice. And sometimes there would be two or three contracts, but mm -hmm. if it's just one, with all the explanation and everything that goes with the paperwork. I think we've gotten better at pre-educating our sellers so right. they know what's coming, mm -hmm. but they didn't. This goes back 35 years ago. Yeah. So contracts were never correct. There was never the right price, so mm -hmm. they got counter-offered. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would sell houses in, well, wherever the buyers could afford to go, in Springfield, mm -hmm. in Dale City, and I went as far as Fredericksburg, Stafford County. Mm -hmm. um, I would be way out in Burke or mm -hmm. way out in Fairfax, and I live in Vienna. Yeah. My office is McLean. Yeah. And uh, so you would drive to your cellar to get the um, uh, counter off and present everything, and then you would drive home to either fax the counter offer or go meet the agent with the contract. So you could be out until 12, yeah. 1, 2 o'clock right. in the morning. Right, so finally, so so then the other agent was waiting for me to come back with a counter offer and mm -hmm. she would meet her clients and mm -hmm. then she would get it to me, mm -hmm. but it wasn't ratified until it was delivered. Right. And so we'd have to drive all the way back to whatever, Dale City or Woodbridge or wherever it was to deliver that it was ratified. Yep. And we used to call ourselves the Beltway Bandits because be we would around be driving around the Beltway at night and it would be 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock. Yeah. I've been out till 2 o'clock. Yeah. I got lost in Lawton one time. It was pitch black in the winter and I uh, couldn't find my direction. And that was, we actually, back then, the first cell phone in the car, I had this huge monster. Yeah. And I would call my husband and I said, I don't know where I am. It's pitch black. And I knew the cross street and he'd look it up on the map and he says, well, take a right and, yeah. and do whatever. Yeah. But that was then. And of course, we were selling a lot of properties in outside McLean and Vienna because they were cheaper sometimes. Mm -hmm. So first time mm -hmm. buyers and we'd have to go for townhouses and yeah. 
and it was driving around the Beltway. So you really had to know where you were going. Absolutely. You had to have a map. You, you had to be you, able to read a map. You didn't had, always. Right. I, I you mean, had it, to have a map. You had to know where you were going. Yeah. And I always looked at the whole tour and everything before getting in the car. Yeah. So I knew exactly looking at the map. And that's yeah. why all the younger uh, generation, of course, are laughing about a map because nobody knows what a map looks like. I don't know how to use it, yeah. but it re really is wonderful um, if you really want to have the big picture concept. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is your, do you have, what would you say to the younger agents that are getting into the business now? Do you have any advice for them? Well, I think I would say you have to start somewhere. And, I, and, 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 and you have to get your clients and people to know you. If they don't know who you are, they don't know how to call you. If mm -hmm. they don't ever see you, they don't know who you are either. Mm -hmm. And I think you start with where you get your business. But once you get a piece of business, I think it's crucial that you work around that piece of business because those are the people that know you. Right. And even today, I mean, I sold, I, I was lucky to get a listing in Stratford Landing in uh, the Alexandria, Mount Vernon area. Mm -hmm. so, um, and when I listed the property, my client said he hadn't slept for three nights because I priced it at 750 And he talked to four other agents and they said 650 and 660 and not a dime over 700 And I come in and I tell him 750 And yeah. Lillian, are, are you sure? And I said, trust me. And he said, okay, I trust you. Yeah. I said, if you'll do what I tell you to do, you have to paint, you have to change your light bulbs, you mm -hmm. have to change the appliances. This was an old house, but it was really beautiful and, and beautifully maintained. But it just needed, you know, a little bit of updating. Mm -hmm. And they moved out and he did everything. And we were ready to go. And he says, Lillian, I'm still not sleeping over that price. Are you sure we shouldn't drop the price? And I said, Bill, trust me. Mm -hmm. He said, okay, I trust you. Well, we went online. Beautiful house, beautiful pictures, wonderful floor plans, great presentation. And we had five contracts in one day. Wow. And sold for? Full price. Wow. Because the one we took had nothing in it. Right. No contingencies. Nothing. Yeah. Right. No, no risk. contingencies. Nothing. Yes. Nothing, nothing, nothing. 750. Yeah. But they were willing to escalate to 775. Right. We had another offer that started at 770. Yeah. With a home inspection, six days to void only, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. So all the other contracts had stuff in it. Right. But the fact still was they all started at my price. Yes. So we took the one with nothing in it, settlement in three weeks, and mm -hmm. we're going to settlement next week. Yeah. And he said, I'll be damned. <laughs> And I yeah. called him up and I said, well, I asked you to trust me and you did and mm -hmm. I thank you. Mm -hmm. And I said, now tell your neighbors. And he yeah. said, oh my God, my neighbors have been already texting me. There's an under contract sign on Monday morning and it was Sunday. Mm -hmm. We ratified Monday and I got the under contract up yeah. the same day. Wow. That's another thing. Yeah. You, you got to do it right away. So the neighbors are texting him. You sold your house? Yeah. 
I said, you just tell your neighbors to call me. So the moral of this story is, I would love to have 10 more listings in Stratford Landing. It takes me 40 minutes to get there. Yeah. But if you're smart about it and have your two lockboxes there, you can minimize your trips and the house is going to sell. And then you're done. Money in the bank. And then you're working around what you already have. My sign has been hanging there and my sign is still there. Mm -hmm. The neighbors know me. I immediately send out a card. We had multiple contracts sold full price. I didn't wait for the sold card to go out at settlement. And I'm beginning to see that's a little bit the key. I've done that in other neighborhoods Mm -hmm. and uh, like sold in two weeks. Yep. And they get that card, and then they get the card when it sells. And they also get a just-listed card, of course. So I ping that neighborhood maybe three times. Yeah. Well, so what's funny about this, and I don't know if you'll remember this, about 10 years ago or eight years ago, you and I were sitting at a Long & Foster event. One of the guys over at Long & Foster was giving a presentation and talking about the Facebook and the Twitter and all the things that you have to do online. and. You kept tapping me on the shoulder and you kept on, on the knee and you kept saying, you know, we still got to sell, send just listed cards and we still have to pick up the phone and we have to call and we still have to do this. So all this technology that yeah. was was occurring in this speech, yeah. you say you just have to stick to the basics. And the funny thing was at the very end of his speech, he says you still got to pick up the phone and call people. And then you say, you see, I yep, told you. So right. it's, exactly. it's the, it's the, it's the old, contact. It's the contracts and visibility and, and all the other things are wonderful. And of course, social media is wonderful. But, but then, the old school but stuff there's a huge, works. Yeah, right. Works. But there's a huge part of the population that don't do Facebook, believe right. it or not. Right. And I sell to anybody. I don't care if you're 90 or 85 or 75 or 10 years old. Yeah. You know, I'll take everybody. Yeah. And so you you cater to certain groups of, of people and, uh, you know, you want to reach them all. Right. But so, you still got to go the old-fashioned way. So so your advice to the young agents is yeah. just make contact. Yeah. And, I, and I, think, I think there's a lot to be said about the postcard in the mail yeah. or the phone call versus yeah. something electronic. There's something about the electronic communication that is not as weighted. Right. I think it comes in very quickly and, and it, it comes out flashing very, quick. very quickly. It disappears. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I have actually had, I don't know what to say about all these, hit all your clients, you know, at least once a month with emails and everything. I have had some wonderful clients of mine send me an email saying, Lillian, take me off your email list, Mm -hmm. which I did not like to hear. Yeah. They didn't want my email. Right. Right. Yep. They want the phone call. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you as an agent, as an individual, you have to find your way. And of course, my my famous saying is when Frank Sinatra sings mm-hmm. in his farewell song mm-hmm. on stage, I did it my way. Yep. <laughs> and we are all individuals and you have to do it your way because you are who you are. Yeah. And yes, take all the information you hear, but you still have to apply it to how do you come across, how do you like to work How do you like to get up in the morning? I like to get up in the morning and get dressed and be ready for the day. I'm ready to list and sell any time of the day. That's how I like to be. Mm -hmm. Somebody else likes to wake up and stay in their jammies for half a day and Mm -hmm. then uh, go out in their tennis clothes for the other half a day and then wait for the phone call. 
that's not how I want to work. Right. And so you have to find out who are you. Mm-hmm. What do you want in life? And then just remember, the sky is the limit. If it is to be, it's up to me. Yeah. Nobody's going to give it to you. And I think that's the hardest thing to understand. Where are all these referrals and where are all the reloads and what about this? And I thought he was going to call me. There just isn't anything. you got to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You have to put in the effort in all the different ways that you know how to uh, get the client. Yeah, I think the reality is, is if you take your destiny into your own hands, you can yeah. drive it wherever yeah. you want to drive yeah. it, right? Yeah, and that's right. Yeah, if you're waiting for uh, some other mechanism to make it happen for you, it's not going to happen. No, it's not right? going to happen. So all the no. tools are there. It's all there, yeah. Yeah, all the information's there. You've got to take it and make it your own. Yep. And then really, I think the bottom line is you got to go knock on doors. Yeah. you got to go spend some well, shoe leather. Yeah, but of yep. course, people don't like knocking on doors well, in reality yeah, uh, today. True. But yeah. um, but um, you've got to uh, follow up is maybe a better yeah. word than yeah. uh, follow up and... Um, network. Network, Meet yeah. people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I think I miss the whole activity of the brokers open. So mm-hmm. in the earlier years, the broker open houses were fantastic. All the agents would come all the time. Mm-hmm. And it was a great way to meet agents and to let them know who you are and you know who they are. Right. And you learn from all the people that come and you listen and all the interaction we had. But brokers opens have gone by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Agents are lazy. They don't feel like going. I don't have to go. I can look at the house on the internet. Mm-hmm. But they're losing sight of why we did all of that in the yeah. first place, the camaraderie. Yeah. And hearing things and knowing things. And right. we used to hear about financing and great buys and stories. And you, you take all of that and mold it into your brain that you learn from that and it stays yeah. with you. Now everybody sits at home in their office and they, they, they there's no interaction. Uh, of course, we're in a difficult period right now, but just right. in general, you don't see the excitement of everybody getting together. I yeah. mean, it, it's changed a lot. So I don't know how the new agents, um, they are making it, and uh, but how they're making it, yeah. I don't know. So, so another piece of advice that I'm hearing for the new agents is go out and meet some of the other agents that are at the Brokers Open and, and talk to them well, and introduce absolutely. yourself and, yeah. get to, and learn from yeah. them. And yeah. I used to go to, when I was new, I would mm-hmm. go to open house every Sunday mm-hmm. and I would observe because this was now my new profession and I would mm-hmm. go into an open house and there would be somebody sitting there knitting and said, hi, how are you? And <clears throat> said, I'm great, I'm Lillian, you know. And I said, yeah, go ahead and take a look at the house. <laughs> and I would just keep knitting. And and others would be, not on the phone, because we didn't have phones right. back then, right. but they would be reading or preoccupied. Mm-hmm. And that told me exactly who I did not want to be. Right. I did not want to be that agent. Right. I wanted to be observant. I wanted to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. No matter if another agent comes into your open house, mm-hmm. strike up a conversation and find out something about that other agent, about the house and everything in the meantime. Right. Because there's got to be some information that comes across that you can use. Yep. 
Yeah. Or maybe information about that house. You went there to see the house, and you got to get familiar with the territory. You got to know the inventory. I yeah. can tell you the inventory and the houses and the price ranges of almost everything in Northern Virginia. It's amazing. Because I've been there. Yeah. And I've sold there. Yeah. And so prices change, conditions change, but pretty much, and you got to beat the path. You got to get out there and. Yeah, I just got to get out there and do it. You got to just do it. <laughs> well, that's a great way to end it. Well, yeah. Mom, thanks for uh, sitting down and telling this great story. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was a lot of stuff. What do you think, Nick? Hey, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Go With John show. Please subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. And keep up with our latest episodes and what's going on with the show at GoWithJohn.com. That's GoWithJohn.com.